when you're down and trouble and you need some love and care and nothing well nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world. Well, Phantom fans, we have done it again. We've gone into the history book to pay tribute to an all-time superstar. And our guest this week will talk about this all-time great Hall of Famer, and that guest is top ball driller, coach, inventor, and he also possesses a thorough knowledge of the sport. We've asked him to tell us a little bit about one of the all-time greats. So here is Bill Hall. Hello, Bill, and welcome back to the show, Bards. It's great to be back, Blue Oil. Everything is going good. Um, just, you know, I really want to get into this show because... There's a lot in my head about the player we're going to talk about. I'll wait for you to bring that player up, but let's just jump right in if that's okay with you. (laughs) I know you're always ready, Parge, and I want to thank you again for being here all the time. And You know, you're you're a thorough world of knowledge, and I don't know anybody that knows more about this game than you, but before we talk about this week's celebrity, we got a little housekeeping to do. Uh, the last time you were here, when you talked about Ed Levansky, uh, you mentioned that you had a new hobby, and uh, we never did get into that. And I want to know what that is, because I don't even know what it is. So what was that, Pards? Well, you know, traveling around the world, one of the great taste food from every part of the world. As you know, you got to eat. And what you find is all the different flavorings. And one of the things that I did in each country that they had farms in is I got to meet a farmer. And to me, the farmers are the most educated people with a degree or without a degree in my entire, that I've ever met in my entire life. The one thing that interests me the most about them is how they are self-sufficient and they are extremely intelligent. So I really started getting into learning how to grow foods. And my my latest hobby is I grow a lot of my own food now because it's learning how to be self-sufficient. And I'm actually in touch with still quite a few of them that I've met from around the world. And a few things that I'm growing is various types of basil, various types of peppers, different types of roots that you can cook with and stuff like that. And I'm just really, it's very humbling that they help me. And believe me, these these people are smart. 
how to be self-sufficient. What can be better than that? <laughs> you know, I, I'm laughing because I've seen you do so many things in my life. You know, I, I can just picture you with a pickup truck going down the farmer's market with a whole bunch of boxes of fruits and vegetables <laughs> and, and, and selling balls to all the people that are buying your vegetables. Unbelievable. <laughs> Here's some basil. Would you like a bowling lesson with that? <laughs> oh man, that's that's great. I mean, you know, there's nothing like picking up knowledge, and, and I'm sure you can learn a whole lot just by planting foods and, and seeds and all that. Uh, that. That's awesome. You know, I, I know people that save, uh, you know, baseball cards and stuff like that, but I really don't know any farmers. So this is cool, parts. I love it. I really, really enjoy it, and it's a lot of fun to actually grow and eat your own food. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to order something from you as soon as you get it all going, because I want to check it out, parts. But uh, <laughs> you caught me by surprise. I, I love it. All right, let's get back into this part. Uh, I know we got a lot of fans that are bowling fans. I don't know how many people into fruits and vegetables, but I know you have an all-time favorite female player. And we don't talk a lot about the ladies for some reason, but this is going to give us an opportunity to do that. So what can you tell us about whoever is your favorite female bowler? My favorite female bowler of all time is none other than Marion Latterlake. When you look at her overall records, they are unmatched. I don't believe they ever could be matched. Because you got to remember, going back in those times, they bowled a lot more games for a title. They did, I mean, imagine how much they had to go through. And it, it's, when you look at her records, her records are unbelievable. I know people are going to say, what about the current players? We're talking about what I believe is the best. Not current. I'm saying the best female player. And when you look up at her records, it's unbelievable. And, you know, when you look around a little bit and you talk to the people with the knowledge and everything, there were men that feared bowling her. And even, I'm not talking just regular bowlers. I'm talking there were all-star players that were very cautious about approaching to bowl her because she was just that good. What an arm swing, what a bat, that unbelievable. You can, even on the black and white films, you can see how clean she was out of the ball. And, you know, it, it's something that I don't see that much anymore. It, a lot of players look herky-jerky. She was actually what we would consider now more of a rev player, but we just didn't have bowling balls that really covered a lane like they like we do now so to me oh my god what a what an incredible player what an incredible talent you know i've heard that before from i remember talking to dick weber about the women bowlers and all that and billy Waylu. they said the same thing that she was the best and that she could bowl with the men right alongside them in, in all the tournaments and uh yeah not only was she feared by the ladies she is feared by the men. Besides being clean, like you say, and smooth, what else about her was a favorite thing of yours about her? 
can we break this up into a couple different categories, if you don't mind? Sure. And I've only seen a few players with this. And I can't speak for the player, but I can tell you what I see. What I see is a player like her, you know, we talk about how a player knew right off their hand that they were going to strike. I believe that she knew at the top of her. And that is a very rare talent where you can just see it in their, in their, uh, in their form that at the top, they already knew. They didn't have to release the ball yet. They already knew they were going to strike. Wow. So that was, that was one of my favorite things about looking up her films is she just had that look before the ball got to the bottom of the swing. And that is an extremely, extremely rare talent. And the other thing that I really liked about watching her physical game, her feet are great. They look like they're walking on clouds. They, you don't see them really moving their legs before you next, next thing you know, they're at the foul line. They're not running or anything. They're just going right through that motion with an extremely unbelievable fl flow to it. And all the, all the best, in my opinion, look like they walk on clouds. Their foot speeds are different. You, I'm sure if you sat right next to them, you wouldn't even hear their feet. That's just kind of how I picture uh, the best, is that they look like they never interrupt anything. And hers, none, none were better than hers. Other thing about her, yeah. uh, in 1952, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you know, a lot of the great coaches uh, which you are, no question in my mind about you knowing coaching, but to be able to visualize something like that, that you notice at the top of her swing, uh, there's been just a handful of players, men that I know, that feel that way. They tell me that. You know, some of the all-time greats like Weber and, and Billy Hardwick, you know, they had that correction swing at the bottom of the swing where right before they let go of the ball, they could twist it up turn it a little bit left, turn a little bit right. They had that feel right there. But very few had it at the top of the swing. And that, that's something that your eyeballs are awesome, man, to pick that up. Well, I appreciate that. But, you know, again, I, I can never thank the people that around me that have taught me. It's, it's never going to be enough. The amount of knowledge you passed on to me, the amount of knowledge that John Davis passed on to me, Larry Lickson, Barry Asher, uh, of course, Mr. Earl Anthony, who was the biggest influence to me ever. And someday I'd like to really sit down and do a show in, in memory of him. You want to talk about somebody with knowledge. Oh, my God, that is parallel. And, um, but if you're around the people and you trust the people that are passing this knowledge on to you, then you can pick up things because they, they don't exactly, and you're included, they don't give you exactly what to look for. They give you the idea so that you can figure it out. They don't want you, they don't want you to say it in their words. They want you to look at it and have a full understanding of it. So they didn't ever pound me with like specifics. They just gave me what I call the outline. That led to lead me filling it in, in with the colors. That's what hones a player, that's what hones a coach is not going by what I call the cookie cutting method, you have to be able to fit in your own little colors to match what the environment is on the lane and to match what is 
in the players' abilities. So again, I can't thank you guys enough. I really, I, I have no words. Wow, you know, picking up stuff a little bit from this person, a little bit from that person, uh, it's unbelievable. But you know, we could do a whole show on coaching one of these days. I'd love to do that with you, Parch, because I know you like to pass along knowledge. But let's hear some more about this Marion Latterwig. You, you started to say something about 1952. Uh, fill us in on that. In 1952, what is what was then known as the Ladies All-Star, uh, which I believe now is what they consider the Queens, she won the tournament. Now, there were two things that were very, very impressive about that win. One is, as she was bowling, you could never tell whether she threw a good shot or a bad shot. I watched it on, uh, the, on the internet, and it's like, you could never tell whether she thought she threw it good or bad. She just stayed pretty even keel. The thing that really struck me is the interview. After she won, she did an interview that was basically perfect. But I learned a very interesting fact in that interview. When she won the tournament in 1952, she was a grandmother. Wow. And that was something that just really kind of blew me away. It was like, she didn't even look like a grandmother, number one, but she just physically was, looked like she was in her 20s. And I, I, it just blew my mind that somebody could be that good for that long and be feared, like you said, by both men and women, because she just had that uncanny ability to be phenomenal. There's no other word. Thinking back, you know, I've seen several of her videos myself, and it always reminded me that, you know, how about modern day? You know, what kind of ladies uh, out there? There have been several great lady bowlers. Guys have said uh, she could bowl with the men. I, I remember coming up with uh, Wendy McPherson when she was just a young girl, and she was tutored to be uh, top-notch, and, and it turned out that she was also uh I got to say, Lisa Wagner, man, she was awesome. And Leanne Hulsenberg, uh, Leanne Barrett at one time, but very few and far between. I, I don't want to go down the list because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but Marion Latterwig, man, you're right. She's probably the greatest woman bowler of all time. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd have to look at the records and all that, but she was awesome. I, I'm not sure how many women's all-star, uh, U.S. Opens, uh, Queens, whatever you want to call them back then, that she won. But I know there were several. Uh, she was awesome. If you look at her statistics and just look at the consistency, I, I, I don't see anything, even, and no offense to the men, I don't even see anything on that side. That <laughs> but it was just, I mean, I think, again, and I've said this before on a show, we really need to celebrate celebrate our past. A lot of people probably don't even know who she is. And if you go looking at it, you could just see how phenomenal she was. The videos are a little grainy because they're older. But you know what? I It's something that, I again, we need to celebrate. There's nothing wrong with celebrating it. We have some characters. I mean, think about all the different things, that, you know, 
like Roy Buckley again with, you know, he had some great sayings and stuff like that. And I think we, you know, if we celebrate that a little bit, I think bowling would be in a, in a much better place. I do too. And, uh, you know, we've talked about that several times. And it's one of the reasons why it spurred me on to want to review a lot of these old timers because we can't lose the tradition and the history of our sport. And let's face it, there were a lot of characters. I mean, a lot of talent, but also a lot of characters involved. I mean, just sitting here, I can name 15 or 20 that people need to know about that probably haven't really heard anything about. Uh, there were the Mike Lemon Jellos, uh, guys that were just so cool and calm and never even brought a bowling ball to a tournament. They'd put their hand in somebody else's and say, can I use your ball? I, I don't have one this week. And they go ahead and win a tournament with somebody else's ball. And, I mean, there, there's a ton of them kind of guys out there. But uh, uh, kind of finishing up with Marion, uh, you got any closing thoughts about her? If you want to watch somebody and learn the motions, I'm not saying copy her. If you want to watch somebody, male or female, it doesn't matter to me. If you want to watch the flow of that, you could really learn a lot about the body motions are and if you kind of get a little bit out of character and you could actually compare a lot of her flow to that of the legend Pete Weber there's a lot of similarities in body motion step spacing and stuff like that and you know that's one thing is history is always going to repeat itself and why not go back and look at a little history and learn how it can repeat itself with just a little bit of modifications. I, I really wish that I would have had, you know, I know this is crazy, but I wish I would have been born a little young, a little earlier than I could have met some of these people. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And I really hope that people start delving into the greats such as uh, Mary Ladewig and looking up at how phenomenal these players really, really were, both male and female. You know, you, you, you brought up an interesting point, uh, and you mentioned uh, Pete Weber. Um, I was always interested in, in every sport, but the one sport that I could never, ever really uh, succeed in was golf, and I never really understood it until later on in life, and then it's kind of too late to, to really appreciate it, but the, the distance that these guys can hit a golf ball just blows your mind. How a Pete Weber can throw that ball just so beautifully. Sometimes you can throw it harder, sometimes softer, but it really comes down to timing and, and the rhythm that you go through. And you mentioned it with Marion. They had this superb timing. You know, uh, a lot of people don't even understand timing. In, in golf, it's very, very important. It's not how hard you swing, it's how much rhythm you have at point of contact. Uh, with Marion, you know, can you, can you kind of go into just a little bit of detail, not a lot, just a little bit about the timing that, let's say, that she had and that Pete Weber had and that a Brian Voss had, just effortlessly throwing the ball with speed and control. Uh, where do they get their timing parts? Here's the one thing that I see with all the greats. When they get to the step before the slide, their, their feet are still apart. 
the ball is at the top of the swing. The moment the left knee, not foot, the left knee goes forward, that leg pulling going forward pulls the right arm through. So they are completely unmanipulated and completely committed to the lower body, which if you think about bowling a little bit, it's nothing more than moving weight. Well, you would want to use as much of your lower body as possible to moving weight. And all the greats had that exact same look. Man, oh, man, that's well explained. You know, uh, we hit on something today. Uh, we got two more shows lined up for sure. Uh, one is about coaching because uh, in a 20-minute show, I'm sure you can teach somebody a whole lot because there are thousands of coaches out there. You know, some are just old-timers that work on the weekends with kids, you know, and, and just teaching them how to get to the foul line. But to be more advanced, they need a few little tips. And I know you know them all, Pards, and I know you're not afraid to share it. But also, uh, we're going to do an Earl Anthony show, Pards. Uh, so I want you to start studying up on Earl a little bit, because uh, I know you can talk for four or five hours on Earl. So are you up for all that? I'm up for all that, except for we'll need a week to talk about Mr. Anthony. Because <laughs> well, we can, you know, I, I can visualize it myself, but I've kind of been hesitant to do it because it is. It's going to take two or three shows, bare minimum. So we could have part one, part two, part three. So speaking of that, are you up for that? I'll, I'll Absolutely. If you remember correctly, you wrote a book, and in the book, you ask different coaches and different people about what they see as bowling. And on every category, I told you grip pressure. The one person that taught me, he said he didn't tell me exact because Earl would not tell you in words. He would make you figure it out. <laughs> how he would say, well, it depends on how I hold it. And it took me a long time to figure out that his hands in the same position, he's holding it with different grip pressures. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, he was, he was the riddle master. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was too much. I mean, he went into so much detail. If you got him sitting down for a while, he had no tournament to go to or, or no, no golf course to go to. Uh, he could babble and babble and babble, man, and, and just fill your head. You had a whole notebook, a legal pad full of notes by the time you got done. And then when you started to write about it, he couldn't remember all the things he told you because it was so much. He was so far advanced, it was crazy. He's the, you know, and this is the thing that gets me is, you know, yeah, he was left-handed, but he would have been just as good right-handed, trust me. <laughs> um, so it had no difference to what side of the lane he was on. He was the only player in my entire life that when I drew balls out on tour long before we had flair, that his track was literally no more than an eighth of an inch wide all the way around the ball. I've only seen one player with that. That was it. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean, because I used to weigh the balls with Lichstein in the locker room, and I'd see guys that had won titles that had an inch wide track. Unbelievable. <laughs> they'd, they'd never wore out a ball, man. They could use that one ball forever because it would never get too much tracked up, but but you're right about Earl. You can barely even see it on there. Wow. All right. Well, speaking of marrying again, 
any closing thought? Because we only got about two minutes left, my friend. If you're going to really break down a player and watch the very best in the world, if you break them down, you can literally start to see the commons. I don't like to say them fundamentals because everybody moves slightly different, but you can with the commons. And she has the commons of every phenomenal player. I would literally, even with health, good health and healthy knees, I just hand say, don't embarrass me. Very good. All right, parts, start studying. Uh, maybe put in three parts. We'll do Anthony, about a three-part show with him. And then also, if you don't mind, sharing more of your, your coaching talents. Uh, we'll do a show on coaching. So I got that already penciled in over here on my legal pad. So I'll be keeping in touch with you. When you got enough for three shows, let me know. We'll schedule it, all right? You got it. All right, Parge. Well, Phantom fans, the old clock at all tells me we are out of time, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies in this show, but when I get to talking to Bill, we're not going to go on any tangent because uh, he's got so much knowledge, and I want to pull it out of his brain So, and pass it on to you bowling fans. So looking forward to next week. We'll have another interesting guest to talk to. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling Products, and Brad Edelman from the famous High Roller. Also, a shout-out to our newest sponsor, Dave Kowalski with Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper Auto Parts Stores. He's also the past president of the Michigan Bowlers Coaches Association. they got over 7,000 junior bowlers up there. So, Billy, thanks for being on with us. And bowling fans, this is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled And you need some love and care And nothing, well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I will be 